Tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Mark, chapter 7, and we're going to wrap up chapter 7 tonight, verse 24 through 31. Well, today I got uh, email and pictures, and then later I got text messages from overseas from some friends of ours that are traveling. And, uh, of course, I recognized instantly where they were at, and I knew what river they were by, and, and was able to just communicate back and forth, talking to them about where they're at. One of the things when people have, go overseas and they ask me, if they do take time to ask me, say, what should I do? One of the things we, Becky and I always tell folks is, don't do what all the rest of the Americans do. Don't stay at the Marriott Hotel. Don't eat at all the McDonald's restaurants or the Colonel Sanders. Get out and experience the culture. Experience what's around you and, and go where people are. Whether it's in Italy or whether it's in Budapest or whether it's in Africa, you want to get out sometimes and you just want to be where people are at. And in case some of you are thinking, yeah, look what happened to you in Asia. I was very, very careful in Asia, you know. But you want to just experience. Well, tonight we're looking at a story again. We're wrapping up Mark chapter 7. And in some ways, this is like a tourist experience. Because if you don't take time, as we've done in chapter 7, to look at, and I'm saying this because some of you I see here tonight, you haven't been here for one this, this series of messages in Mark chapter 7. Some of you watching online, this may be the first time you've ever watched. But Jesus has left Israel. Jesus is in Gentile territory. And so when we begin reading this passage tonight, you really need to realize just how shocking this was to Jewish people. If not, then you're kind of blind. I was at a hockey game, my first hockey game. Becky's told this story from the pulpit before. My first hockey game, and the lady that uh, used to go to our church that's moved away now, uh, she was just like insane. I mean, we had just never experienced anything like this. She was yelling. She was screaming. She was in the chair jumping up and down. And she was thinking, you know, do you want to borrow my glasses, ref? You're blind and just making all this noise. Well, do you, any of you remember Columbo? Remember the t- TV show Columbo, Peter Falk? Peter Falk had a glass eye. I don't know if you know that. But Falk was real fond of telling the story when he was in base, playing baseball in high school. He, still, he had a glass eye starting at the age of three. An umpire called him out at third base, and it made him so mad he took out his glass eye and he gave it to the umpire, and he says, you'll do better with this, you know? And so what I'm saying is I don't want you to be blind to what's going on in these passages and the story that God is referring to us. One of the other things that's important is that you're going to see Jesus throughout chapter 7, as we've already looked at, touching people. This scandalized the Pharisees. Remember, they sent the religious police to check him out, see what he was doing. They were very critical. But you would have never touched a Gentile. And here Jesus was touching people, healing people. He'd already touched and healed uh, Jewish people. That scandalized them. But to touch Gentile people like you and me, that's just something else. Uh, just to put it in context and remind you, Mark 7, 28 through 30. You remember Jesus, the lady had come to Jesus wanting her daughter set free. And Jesus said, you know, he'd come to the children of Israel. And, and um, she goes, Lord, that's true. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little child, little girl lying quietly in bed. And the demon was gone. 
Now this faith was aggressive faith. That's what this woman was showing us here. She, was, she would not be denied. Do any of you remember a song when you were younger that said, I will not be denied, I will but not be denied? Well, that was a song we sang in church because it was a testament of this woman's faith. She knew that Jesus would heal and she humbled herself and she says, I know that you have the power. I know that you're willing is basically what she's saying. She says, even the dogs can eat under the, the crumbs under the table. It sounds cold the way Jesus treated her, but he's drawing her faith out. And there's nothing that comes our way that God doesn't work in it for our good and for his glory to draw the best out of us. But he doesn't touch her daughter. He just speaks the word. She goes home and her daughter's well. Let's pick up now with our, our passage tonight that we're looking at, verse 24. Jesus left Tyre and went down to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Now, I want you to get this picture. He's been deaf, but he also can't talk. And imagine growing up in that century, growing up, 2,000 plus years ago in that culture, and you can't hear, you can't talk. Well, he's brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and to heal him. Well, Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now, when I was a youth pastor and I would read this, all the kids would go, oh, gross. You're not saying it because you're mature, but you're thinking it, okay? Some of you are nodding your head. Well, looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed, and he said, Ephaphatha. That's a strong word. It's only used one time in the New Testament. And the Hebrew version of it, which was translated the same word, and Mike mentioned last week in his message, the Septuagint, it's only mentioned in Isaiah 35 again. So Mark is really wanting you to cross-reference Isaiah 35 to understand this. This is a, Jesus just sighs, epaphatha, which means be open. And instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Well, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Now get this, this is Gentiles talking about Jesus. This is people the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with, and that the word is actually kerygma. It's, it's the Greek word we get for preaching. They're spreading the good news, and they were completely amazed and said again and again, read this with me if you would tonight, Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Now let that sink in. The Gentiles, this is pre-Calvary. They're preaching about Jesus. And boy, isn't that great news. It still is. Everything he does is wonderful. It's good. Father, we love you so much. And we're just asking you tonight to help us not only worship you and appreciate what we're reading and learning but show us how we can apply this to our lives tonight, how we can apply this to our communities as well. What would you have us to take and to do with this? I'm asking you this, Lord, for your people, for myself, but for your glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. 
Some time ago when I was working through this series and studying and writing, I got to this portion and I felt bogged down. I went to Becky and I said, I really need you to pray. Because I said, there's a part of me, I'm just tempted to rush through this because we've already seen Jesus. We've seen Jesus heal the woman with the issue of blood. We've seen Jesus raise the little girl from the dead. We've seen Jesus do so many miracles already. He's walked on the water. He's fed to 5,000. I mean, what's more left for me to say when I preach? Because when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, you've got to deal with every single portion. You know, you sometimes keep coming back to a theme. And I, Becky was, I remember we're standing in my study at home and she goes, honey, just talk to the Lord. He will show you what to do with this. So the more I prayed about this, all of a sudden, just one afternoon, I'm driving down to the hospital to go pray with someone. I'm thinking about this passage, and it just really starts to pop and to open up. Even the commentators were saying the same thing. So I want you tonight, in light of all the miracles we've seen, I want you to look at this. I've asked God to give us like fresh lenses, fresh eyes to look at this with tonight. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus decided to do something. Jesus decided to do something. The best definition I've ever heard of a problem, Fred Smith said, is a problem is something I can do something about. A problem is something I can do something about. Fred Smith was one of the greatest leaders in this last century that I knew of. A strong Christian man. There's another Fred Smith that is, I think, was chairman of FedEx. I'm not talking about him. Fred Smith was just a godly man. But when I heard him say that statement, the best definition of a problem that I can think of is a problem is something that I can do something about. Problems don't land in our laps to intimidate us or to defeat us or paralyze us. And Jesus does something so powerful here. And I don't know why I was so thick-headed that I couldn't see it at first. But in Mark verse uh, 33, chapter 7, verse 33, look at this. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. We've not seen Jesus do this yet. And yet when I stop and just think about this and driving to the hospital, do you see the humility? Do you see the compassion here? Do you see that Jesus is not wanting to make a spectacle of this man? Somebody had to tell him because he's deaf. There was no braille. There was no sign language. Somebody had to just bring him there. He probably had no idea what was going on. And Jesus, rather than let the crowd look on to what was happening, and we've all seen, you know, television where people make big, dramatic spectacles of praying for the sick, Jesus pulls him aside so that they can be alone. And what he does is sovereign. Jesus is Lord. But what he also does is, it's not only compassionate, it's mysterious to you and me. When we look at this whole idea, what he does is he speaks the deaf man's language. He speaks this man's language. He's identifying with him. Jesus is not doing this. This is important. Jesus is not pulling him aside because Jesus needs to be alone to heal him. Jesus is pulling him aside because the man needs to be alone with Jesus without the crowd and everybody gathering around. It's what 
the man needs. And there are times when you and I, we just need to be alone with Christ. Once in a while, people ask me, which is more important, my private prayer or my corporate prayer? I need both. I need prayer with you, my prayer partners, my small group, but I need prayer alone as well. And Jesus identifies with this man. Imagine, put yourself in his place, and that's kind of hard to do, but we all appreciate the sounds of nature, of a waterfall, of a river, the sound of the wind and the trees. Imagine how music blesses us. We sit and we stand when the team stands up to lead us on Sunday mornings and we worship the Lord. We, have, we spend tons of money on stereos in our homes and in our cars. We walk around with electric toothbrush holders in the side of our heads, you know, listening to music because we just don't want to be without music because music lifts our soul. Music is so powerful, anointed music is. Remember, David would pray, play the harp and sing, and Saul, who was tormented, would find himself being calmed and soothed. This man's never heard music. This man has never, listen, this man has never heard the voice of his parents, probably, unless something happened as a young child. He's never, look at me, he's never heard the word of God preached. And imagine the deficit in our lives. Imagine how we would shrivel without the word of the Lord. I had the privilege of preaching in a city where the gospel had not been preached for 500 years. You would not believe what we encountered there. You would not believe the warfare, the struggle, all that was taking place. But for 500 years, the gospel had not been preached. Imagine what happens to a community and to a city. Imagine what happened to women and children in a society where they were just being oppressed. Imagine where slavery is still practiced. And that's what the absence of the word does. But imagine what that does to your soul, not to be able to hear the word. And you say, well, he could read. We don't know that he could read because teaching was oral teaching in those days. It's a whole different. This is a, this is a challenging situation. This is why Jesus needs to be alone. One other thing I'd point out, the scripture says he had difficulty speaking. He made noises. He he made grunts. He, we've met people, I've met people like that, and they, the, the moans and the groans they make, it breaks your heart. So what Jesus does is he identifies with him at a level he can understand. He pulls him aside, he touches his ear, and by touching his ear, the man knows something is going on because there's a crowd there to hear Jesus. There's something going on because somebody has brought him to hear Jesus. And so the man suddenly realizes Jesus is going to do something for him. Jesus spits, and, and, and I can't really get into it. It's nothing mysterious. It's not magical. I've read some commentators that said it was, you know, this was something that magicians did. You know, there's only one claim I've been able to find where Caesar spit was supposed to heal somebody. I don't even want Caesar spitting on me, by the way. But Jesus spit on his fingers and touched that man's tongue. That man was expecting something to happen because Jesus was talking his language. Now, let me press this a little more. Imagine you're that man growing up as a little boy. We've all seen people who are disabled, blind, deaf, crippled, mocked, made fun of, pushed around. 
We've all seen bigots when they have mocked and pushed other people around. We've all have a story we could tell of what happens. So this man who's experienced unspeakable, unspeakable pain in his life, Jesus is doing something to him that he's not used to being done, being done to him, and that is Jesus is touching him. Just like the leper was shocked and the Pharisees were scandalized that Jesus was touching him, this man felt untouchable and Jesus Christ is touching him. And by touching him, get this, faith is increasing in his heart because the man is yielding to Jesus. The man is yielding to how Jesus is communicating to him. And I'm not stretching this, I don't believe. If you want to take issue with this later, you can. I'm still right. But the point is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is touching him and speaking to him in a language that he could understand. And faith is rising in this man's heart. Because we've already seen the power of faith demonstrated in a Syrophoenician woman who said even the puppies get to eat the crumbs that drop off from the table. When we saw another woman reach out and touch the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed, her faith caused her to press through. Jairus, who we talked about, risked his position in the, in the, in the temple when he came to Jesus that Jesus would touch and heal his daughter. I could go on with the element of faith that is happening. He's in Gentile territory. He's in a place where the gospel has not been preached. The Jews did not want him there. He's in a place called, that we call Syria today. He's in Syria, and this man is getting the gospel preached to him by the word himself. And he responds in faith. The next thing I want you to see is what Jesus does. Is Jesus sighs in prayer. I mean, there's got to be a reason that Mark includes this in the scripture. I mean, I don't mean to be facetious here, but let's just, let's just play this out just a little bit. If you were Jesus and you were about to do something spectacular for him, do you guys ever run, you know, like prizes or give prizes away at the radio station? I thought so. And do any of you, your companies or businesses ever give away a prize or something like that? Can you imagine Jesus just going to him, Wait till you see what I'm going to do for you. He doesn't do that. He sighs. He looks up to heaven. He's talking to the Father. And look at the verse in verse 34. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. That word could be moaned. He moaned and said, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. Why is Jesus moaning? Why is he sighing? Because there is a deep, deep cost that Jesus is looking down that he's going to have to pay for the healing of this man and for your healing and my healing. Because greater than damaged eardrums, greater than a tongue that cannot talk, is the soul who has not heard the word of the Lord, is the heart that has not been born again, is the person whose life is ruled by sin. And Jesus is going to die for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. Look at, if you would, Isaiah 35 and verse 5 and 6. Remember I told you Mark wants you to reference this because this is where that passage is used. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind 
and unplug the ears of the deaf. There's that word. He will unplug. He will open the ears of the deaf. And the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy right here. Now, everybody talks about this, but do you remember I told you one of the things you need to do when you read a passage of Scripture, you need to read it in context, read the chapter before it, read the chapter after it. You know, not only read the chapter, but read what's around it. If you look at verse 3, the Lord says, it's not in your outline, just, okay. If you look at the third verse that comes just before, excuse me, the fourth verse comes just before verse 5, it says, the Lord will come with divine vengeance. Some versions say with retribution. The Lord will come with divine vengeance and retribution. In this passage, Jesus has it come with vengeance. Jesus has it come with retribution. Jesus has come to bear the retribution. Jesus has come to bear the price and the penalty for our sins. And I think that's why Mark captures this. And remember, Peter is the one that's talking to Mark capturing why Jesus moaned and why Jesus sighed right there. Charles Wesley wrote these words. Hear him, you deaf, his praise you dumb, your loosened tongues employ. You blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, you lame, for joy. Anybody know what psalm that came from? Oh, I put it in the notes, I'm sorry. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great reading, I forgot I put that in there for you. <laughs> in other words, what Jesus, what Wesley is writing, he's writing this verse of scripture. He's putting this. And how many times have we sung this song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise. You've heard me say this before jokingly about a hymn. If I did believe in reincarnation, I would never want to come back as the fourth verse of any hymn because you never get sung. <laughs> If you go to churches that use hymn books, they'll go, let's sing the first, second, and last verse this morning. You know, we don't get this, but Wesley is writing about this. And the Gentiles take this and they go out and say, everything Jesus is good, he does is good. So how do we apply this to our lives? Let's get at our growth work for just a little bit. Number one, Jesus is a lion. Jesus is a lion. I want you to understand why I'm saying that. Remember C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia? I, if I've said this once, I've said it a hundred times over the years as I've been your pastor, where Lewis writes about Aslan the lion, who's the Christ figure in those stories. He says, he's a wild and he's a ferocious lion, but he's a kind lion. But don't make the mistake of thinking he's a tame lion. He's a wild and a ferocious lion. How can Jesus be both the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah? He's the Lamb of God because he takes our sins upon himself. He's the Lion of God because he crushes the powers of hell and sets his people free and he heals the sick as the scripture says today. And I give you a verse of scripture, you can look at that later. Number two, Jesus can heal anyone of anything. Jesus can heal anyone of anything. Today, I, one of my prayer partners called me and we were praying for my grandson. Yesterday, one of my prayer partners called me. We were praying for, for my grandson again. I, I ask people every day, pray for Josiah's complete and total healing. Josiah is one of 12 children in the world with a rare disease that they know of that he has. And we believe God's going to heal him. And yet this week, I've already heard three 
people that I know, remarkable answers to prayer. One person healed of cancer this week. The doctor says the tumors are gone. Can you say amen to that? That's the doctor saying that. Now here's the point. Jesus can heal anybody of anything. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 23 says, I pray that God who gives peace will make you completely holy. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept healthy and faultless until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. You say, Pastor, why do you want to just emphasize that? Because it just breaks my heart when I hear people being taught that Jesus doesn't heal anymore. That's denying who Christ is. He is the great physician. Come to him. Ask him. And by the way, I can't tell you through the years how many people who have said that miracles don't happen anymore when they get cancer or heart disease, they've asked me to come and pray with them. Because it's real easy to say that when you're healthy and you've got a good insurance program, but suddenly when you're faced with something the doctors and the insurance can't solve, you want a miracle. You want a miracle. Number f- next, the other thing I want you to see is Jesus' miracles are not cookie cutters. Don't try to box Jesus in and say he's got to do it this way every single time. He says to the woman that uh, we've already talked about, go home, the demon has left your daughter. He, he touches a man's ears, he spits on his fingers, and he touches the man's tongue. Now trust me, I'm never going to spit on my fingers when I pray for you. Lord, please don't let me do that. I had somebody get mad and decide they couldn't come to Woodland anymore because they read that a famous healing evangelist would go around hitting people in the stomach And so they said, um, I'm going to the hospital and I'm going to go pray for someone. I'm going to hit them in the stomach just like this healing evangelist did. And I said, look, I didn't know him, but I knew the people that were for him. He was one of a kind. You cannot go down there and do that. I'm warning you, don't go down and do that. You're going to get arrested. That's assault. That's battery. That's wrong. And they got so mad at me because they said I didn't have any faith. Well, they still have not found a place where they will let them go hit people in the stomach. Next, Jesus removed the barriers. Jesus removed the barriers. And I think this is such a word for us today. Obviously, the Jews hated the Romans, and they had good reasons for for hating the Romans. Obviously, the Jews didn't like the other people, the Gentiles. But Jesus is showing that he's going to remove every hurdle and every barrier. Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He did not want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon. The reason I'm pointing this out to you is Jesus is crisscrossing across the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Syria. I mean, he's, going, he's literally going around his elbow to get to his nose. He goes back into Sidon before we went back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns, which is, you saw that part of that in The Chosen. Here's the question I think we ought to ask ourselves. Are we really being sensitive to the needs and the hurts of others? I mean, do I believe we ought to have a secure border? Yes. But do I believe we have any right to call people names, to judge people, to act hatefully and spitefully to people? whether they're legal or illegal. The point is, people need to be loved by us. They need to be treated with respect and compassion by us. And if they hear anything from us as followers of Jesus, 
they need to hear the love and feel the touch and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If we are not responsive to the need of human beings, there may be political things that we can talk about and discuss and how do we help, but we have to see this as our opportunity that God is bringing the world to our doors. And rather than trash people, when we meet people like that, let's remember what Fred Smith said. A problem is something I can do something about. A problem is an opportunity. Now some of what I'm saying right now may make some of you angry. But anger sometimes motivates us to do good things. Anger sometimes makes, motivates us to do right things. Anger can make us energize to do better. But hatred will destroy us and destroy the people we want to reach. There's nothing wrong with being angry, but there's everything wrong with being hateful and acting in hate. Do you get the difference I'm trying to make there? So the Lord brings people our way. We receive them. We minister to them in the name of Jesus Christ. So I hope this, this Mark 7 helps us to see missions did not begin after Pentecost. Missions began before Pentecost when Jesus crossed the racial boundaries. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Can you say amen? amen? Let's pray. You join us in prayer at home tonight too. Father, in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who heals. We thank you that you can heal anything. And we thank you that you identified with us for you became one of us, Lord. You left your home in glory and you became Emmanuel, God with us. You became a man. And finally tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that we too are sent to bear witness to the good news that everything you do is wonderful. And that, Lord, we bear witness not to just people like us, but we bear witness to all, wherever they are, wherever they may be. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us online. We're going to have a Q&A session here right now. And so if you're local, I hope you'll come and join us soon one night, Wednesday nights here at uh, Woodland Church. God bless. Good night.